with uh, the California MBA and welcome to Connect, our monthly podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with movers and shakers in the mortgage industry. Uh, Typically, we do these once a month, but uh, since everyone is stuck at home and uh, trying to find something to watch after they have already binge-watched Tiger King and, you know, sort of moved through their their Netflix queue, uh, we've decided to do a few more bonus episodes of Connect this month. So I'm really excited today to uh, welcome John Headland. John is COO and Managing Director at uh, Amerihome, and he's also a member of our Board of Directors. And, uh, you know, I think John, actually, John, you're on uh, a ResBog with uh, the MBA as well, if I remember right. I am, yes. I have the pleasure of being the Vice Chair this year there and also on the MBA Board of Directors nationally. Right on. Yeah. So John is, uh, to say the least, John's in the know in uh, what's been going on in the industry in the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure he's going to have a uh, complete answer for every single question that uh, you might have about what's going on, because a lot of that's still in flux, to say the least. But uh, uh, let's uh, jump in and uh, find out uh, John's thoughts on the industry and where we're at and and, uh, where we're going. So uh, before I sort of get into the nitty gritty of what's gone on the last couple of weeks, John, I'd just love to know your journey in the mortgage industry, how you got from where you started to uh, where you're at now with uh, Marahome. Well, excellent. Well, first off, thank you, Dustin, for the opportunity to join your your webcast, podcast, whatever the correct term is. Um, well, I guess mine started in Canada, so I'm originally a Canadian. Went to uh, grew up there, went to school there, and out of university, I joined the Royal Bank of Canada, so one of the larger banks, certainly in Canada, if not the world now. And over the years, moved around through across Canada, but we bought a mortgage company uh, around late 90s. And a couple of years later, I got asked to come down and, and help run that. And I've never left. So I uh, became a full-fledged American a few years ago. I've traveled around various cities in the U.S. in the mortgage industry. Um, worked for the Royal uh, RBC Mortgage uh, for several years, as I said, when I came down. Uh, and done stints at uh, New Century and Countrywide and Bank of America after that, and was one of a small group of folks to start Amerihome just over six years ago. All right, all right. It's interesting. It's you know, it's funny. You don't. You're the first person I've interviewed that uh, when I say the the journey through the mortgage process, you're actually talking a geographical journey through the uh, through the industry. Yeah, it's been it's been good. You've I've I've traveled. Uh, probably lived in eight or nine different cities in two countries. And uh, I think that's given me a lot of different perspectives, not only on the various economies and markets, but but on the people differences and the nuances around both Canada and certainly the U.S. So it's been been a lot of fun for me and my family. That's great. That's great. Well, and actually, one of those uh, uh, one of the questions I've got here will relate to that here in just a sec. But um, I'm curious to know, uh, obviously, the, the big question right now, everything that uh, is going on with the COVID-19 uh, crisis, how is uh, how is Amerihome dealing with that? What are your guys, how has that changed uh, processes and, and what are you guys doing to adapt to it? Yeah, and, and I guess first off, and I shouldn't say surprisingly, because we're very fortunate to have, you know, just a really high caliber of people at Amerihome um, in all areas of the company at all levels of the company. Um, so it, 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 
it's been impressive, but but maybe we should have expected it as an executive team. But within three days, so um, California went into lockdown, you know, sooner than other parts of the country. Um, and LA County was very quick, you know, right after New York and probably a couple other places. But um, so we we got into it pretty quick and sent everybody home. And I would say within three or four days, we had over 90% of our workforce at home and our productivity was 90 plus percent. Um, probably after about a week, it was close to basically where we were before. And I think it's all the more impressive, you know, this isn't only true in our um, corporate headquarters here in Westlake Village, Thousand Oaks, but we also have another large site in Dallas, Texas, and another large site where we do our recapture business consumer direct in Irvine, California. And all three of the locations, um, the people just got it together, um, the IT resources and, and really all of the staff helping out other employees. Not everyone has home offices, not everyone has that uh, convenience. And so it was very quick and went relatively seamlessly. Um, so we're all up and running. Um, our staff, uh, by all accounts, are safe, um, which is uh, of paramount concern. But business is kind of getting back to normal from from the, the, the main, I'd say the main folks uh, in the business areas. We have a few hotspots and I'm sure you have some questions into that, so I wanna elaborate on that. But, but certainly from an AmeriHome perspective, we did uh, almost a billion dollars more than our plan in March and half of that month people were at home. Our turn times never got longer than six days in the, from a receiving of a fund to approve to fund. Uh, this month, we bought a lot of loans at the end of March and early April, so we're a little longer, probably in the seven, eight day range, but that's still very good what's out there. And we'll look to do another five billion or so this month. So we're, we're buying more, our turn times are great, and we have a huge focus obviously on the quality aspect of it. And the teams have just choked down, you know, a ton of change in really three weeks with what's going on in the market. So um, I and the rest of our executive team, our CEO, Jim Ferris, very, very uh, pleased with what we've seen from not only the AmeriHome team, all of our employees and contractors, but really all of our partners. And I don't think you have a question on this, so just to elaborate on that. The key issues here, are, you, know, you can control your company, but every company out there has so many vendor partners. And I think that's really come to the fore. You test your own BCP plans but you really test your vendors and your partners. And luckily ours have really stepped up, but it's caused us to probably when we get back to the office and things resume uh, a degree of normalcy to really look at kind of all those partners. Do we have backups? Where were we kind of hurt and where do we need to build in some uh, contingency plans? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I'm sure that'll be on everyone's plate once they're sort of, as you mentioned, back to something looking like normal. Um, right. Well, so what would you account or how much would you account that, uh, you know, the fact that everything's sort of gone as, as seamlessly maybe as, as you could hope to the corporate culture? I mean, I've talked to you enough times and, and been to the headquarters and kind of seen how the, the vibe is there. But I know that corporate culture is important to you. How much of that change do you uh, attribute to the good corporate culture that you guys have got? Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent question, Dustin. And uh, I think a lot of it for sure. And as you say, you know the, you know the, the people a little bit, 
we've we've been uh, buddies and friends for a while now. Um, and that's we're not an old company. We're just in our sixth and a half year, coming up to our seventh year. And so the core group of people that started this company and really got it on its feet over the first two or three years are the core group of people that are here today at all levels. Um, and so, you know, from day one, when you're starting a correspondent mortgage company in a tough market, we went live in 2014. Um, we just have a lot of people with a can-do mindset, if you will, um, not afraid of hard work, not afraid of pitching in. And so when this happened a couple of years ago, we had the fires and that knocked us down for a couple of days. Um, I just never ceases to amaze me and people just do what needs to get done. They work the hours that needs to get done. And um, I think it's it's been a huge part of it. And again, we started the company and that small group of people got to be a larger group of people. And so many of us had worked together over the years that that culture was almost already there and it's persisted as we've grown the team. And, you know, like any team, you tend to attract people that like that culture and don't attract people that don't like that culture. So it's, it's tended to grow and foster and even get stronger. So yeah. good question. And yeah, it's been a big benefit to us. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the fires. I mean, I had I completely forgot, but that was to say the least. That was literally in your backyard. I mean, do you see that as sort of a uh, uh, almost a, a fire drill? You know, no pun intended for uh, what we're going through right now. Yeah, and, and again, we had a pretty good because of that, and we had a pretty good degree of confidence that you know, and that's our corporate headquarters, and so we've got secondary markets there, and. Uh, treasury and some functions that, you know, they need to operate and they need to operate daily. Um, and so we had tested those as we worked through um, the fires, but we hadn't, but we already had backup sites. So we had Dallas as a backup site. We had our, our site in Irvine open. And at this time, they basically all went down at once. Um, so um, again, we felt fairly confident I think the biggest thing that's interesting, and I know we're we're seeing it on TV, we're seeing the news, and so it's not an Amerihome thing, it's not even a mortgage industry, but the world's operated pretty well remotely. Um, you know, the New York Stock Exchange is operating daily remotely. Um, you know, and we could go on and on, but you know, it's 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 worked pretty well. Uh, but again, you know, we have folks that don't have home offices, don't have iPads at home they took their work computers home and our IT people got those things up and running encrypted to make sure they're safe and secure and we're rocking and rolling. Um, I don't know in our two main correspondence sites and our head office, I don't believe we have anybody in the office, even though they'd be very safe in 80,000 feet by themselves or even with a handful of people. Um, and we may have a handful of individuals in, in one office and in, in for consumer direct just because we need to. And then some people will come by and get the mail and do things, but basically we're we're almost 100% remote. Yeah. So it's worked extremely well. And again, just to reiterate, it's worked very well for most companies. I mean, think of the vendors. You had India shut down, and obviously it was a big impact to not not only the mortgage industry, but probably many many others with all of the call centers and work being done in that country. I mean, they sent a billion three people home, and we all took a hit for a couple of days, but our partners and vendors 
uh, you know, really surprising to me. I did not think we would get up and running as fast as we could. I certainly didn't tell them that, but uh, they exceeded my uh, expectations and started to pull work um, into the U.S., started to get computers to those people's home, Wi-Fi access, et cetera. So it's really been impressive as an industry and as an American. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. So all the good news there now for just a wee bit of bad news. And I mean, we could spend all day going through everything that's gone on and all of the you know threats out there to industry and the economy. But, you know, we don't have six hours. So, you know, it uh, if you had to break it down to maybe the, the number one threat facing mortgage bankers right now, what would you say? Um, one threat, liquidity. Um, and we've seen this, you know, many ways already. Um, so initially there were liquidity issues with margin calls um, and that hit, you know, a lot of our customers and really anybody in the business that was hedging. Um, that appears to have waned a little bit. Thank you to, you know, the MBAs, the national MBAs, our MBA in California, and everyone lobbying to the right people. Um, but now I think the hot issue, if you're reading the press, et cetera, is with the forbearance in six months and up to a year. And then even then, what will happen uh, when people go back on the regular payments? So depending how this deep this goes, you know, the servicers, the MSR owners need to continue to pay uh, principal and interest and taxes and insurance. And uh, those facilities, particularly for the GSEs, are not yet in place. So I think that is a big issue right now. But I think, again, back to just general liquidity, much like we saw during um, you know, the crisis, that cash becomes king. And the faster that the government and the various entities involved in the mortgage business can ensure that and do their best to restore confidence, uh, things will settle down and I think we'll be fine. But right now, there's still a little bit of nervousness out there with some of the liquidity providers. And so we need to we need to fix that fast. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. Well, and, you know, speaking of 0708, I mean, you lived through that in the industry. What, uh, you know, do you see uh, sort of uh, comparisons and things that are different? And I mean, what have you learned from learned from going through that that, you know, is helping you now? Well, I think, you know, our whole, our whole executive team uh, lived through that. And, uh, um, you know, I guess if there's a good thing coming from that is uh, we did learn a lot. Uh, you learned, you learned a couple things. And I think the government and the industry learned you need to probably do more than you think and you need to do it faster. Uh, and so I think, I think the government is taking all the right steps there. Now, is it all implemented and are we all happy with everything? Well, of course not. I mean, this thing is moving fast and there's a lot of work to be done. So I think from that standpoint, the industry understands they need to move very quickly to support things. Um, I think as a company, um, we understand where the real risks are and what ultimately caused companies real financial losses or, or other major issues going through that. And maybe what's a little scary, but isn't really as scary after going through it and things work up. So we are, you know, we meet every day as an executive team. We have a routine, we talk about new risks, old risks, uh, other challenges, how business is going. 
and are making sure that we're talking constantly, we're talking to our teams constantly, um, and and making sure that the staff are basically comfortable, they know what's going on, and they know where we're at. So that's that's one of the risks is, you know, that's a new one that we didn't have in 07 and 08, is we weren't remote. And so I think this is compounded uh, a little bit by just that remoteness and not being able to pull together and hear directly from the line team members or the managers, et cetera. So we're spending a lot of time as a company trying to make sure that we stay connected, um, you know, management, employees, different groups. So a lot of town halls, a lot of sessions, fair amount of social happy hours um, to do all that sort of stuff. But I think, you know, the other part of your question was how do they compare? Um, you know, hopefully, in, and, you know, I'm no doctor, but we'll listen to the experts, this will be much quicker. I mean, that was, I mean, that probably lasted, you know, from the start to the finish, you know, debatable maybe, but four or five, six years. Um, uh, we're certainly not thinking that here. Um, and, and it's different, of course. And again, the, there's two or three things that the Fed and, and the various uh, groups in our business are focused on. And if those happen, to be quite honest, I think things will really settle down and we'll get back to a degree of normalcy. Um, I do think the purchase market will take a hit, obviously, with the job loss and the stock market hits, et cetera, et cetera. But I do believe that rates will stay low um, not not forecast anything, so don't hold me to this, but uh, I don't see any reason why they'd go up. And I do think that the, the Fed and the government will want to keep them low because we are a great supplier of, of net income to households by refined mortgages. And, you know, that's a great way to give people uh, more of their own money back every month for many years to come. So I'm confident once we get through the worst of it, there's actually a bright side here. So, I mean, that, I guess that sort of answers my next question about, uh, you know, where we at, where we're at in the next, you know, maybe six months from now, assuming that, you know, like you said, that, uh, you know, we get through this pretty quick and we can take the clamps off the economy and sort of, you know, turn the turn the machine back on, as it were. Um, do you see it really being a, 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 a sort of a, a refinance dominated market at that point and not necessarily as much on the purchase side, assuming, again, that we're not at, you know, 30 percent unemployment or something horrible like that? Yeah. I mean, if you, you know, and obviously um, our role as a, as a mirror home is we don't make bets and we listen to what we're hearing and then really try to react accordingly. So um, given, you know, what we're hearing from the president and, and, and our other leaders, you know, it would appear, you know, right now we don't have an end date, but is it a two or three month thing? Um, and then I think it's how deep it goes to your point. Is it, you know, we're, we're at least preparing for double digit unemployment and you know we'll see where the market goes but if you just look at unemployment going from basically nothing um, to three four five x that is certainly going to hit the purchase market um, and again depending on where the stock market ends up and how quick that rebounds um, that's obviously going to hurt people that are looking to be maybe it's first time home buyers or even move up so yeah. My plan with our folks is um, that I do think that that will take a hit. I think that's supported by, you know, the MBA and Mike Fratt and Tony and, and people like that as well. Um, but refi, you know, right now, I think the 
uh, forecasters at least are are saying it should stay about where they had it at the start of the year. Um, I think it may take a bit of a hit depending on where rates go, um, but we think that will be strong and um, you know we'll be here and very aggressive and looking to provide. Really, our role is to provide liquidity to our 650 clients, and and uh, that's that's our goal, and we take it very seriously. Gotcha. Yeah. So, well, stepping back, I guess, maybe a bit from the uh, the current crisis and maybe looking at, at industry as a, as a, uh, you know, in, in a more normal sense, where do you see that uh, uh, companies and, and Amerihome maybe in particular are at when it comes to borrower engagement? I know that has really changed in the last uh, couple of years, just talking to some of our, especially our, some of our tech vendor company uh, members. I mean, that's, that is all they talk about. That's all they want to talk about. That is the, you know, the, in, in a sense to them, the key to the future of the industry. So wh where do you think we're at? Yeah, I think, um, you know, certainly for the originators out there, and we have a, as I said, a consumer direct recapture platform. Um, so we deal direct with borrowers in that regard. And obviously we have a significant amount of servicing and, and deal with borrowers in that regard. Um, but from from a client and an originator standpoint, I think I think the challenge there, um, you know, when I look at it, and if we just talk about kind of today dealing and getting that purchase business, um, and how is that evolving? And it's long been a realtor builder dominated type of a business. So uh, the the Ello, whether you're a retail or a broker or a whole, you know, a broker, um, you wanted to get in tight with the realtors in your community and the builders and get that purchase business and then the subsequent referral business uh, and refi business. Um, and I think, you know, my my long held belief, at least the last couple of years, is that is still the business model, but it will start to weaken when and if um, the realtor starts to lose hold on the borrower and specifically do does do do the Bazillo directs and uh, the red hats and all of these other services buying, yeah. um, start to start to make real inroads into that market and take that business from a normal realtor I you know, I think that's actually taken a hit in the last uh, two months and it will be interesting. And then on the other side, though, to finish it is I think this crisis has shown us we need to figure out have to, how to do stuff more remotely and quickly. So I think on the front end, to answer your question, Dustin, in the front end, it actually probably got hurt a little bit from from not having that realtor relationship because a lot of those companies have pulled back and been hurt during this time so we'll see but certainly the technology aspect and you think about uh e-mortgages and digitized mortgage and uh online uh remote online notarization different ways to do appraisals all of that is being pushed because of obviously the concerns with getting too close and, and, and the spreading of the disease. So I think it's gonna be interesting if I had to put a, a, a bet on it or has this impacted it more positively or negative, I think it's pushed it further and pushed the consumer further, the borrower further and probably the industry further to getting more automated and whether that is through the computer, through your iPad, 
through your phone, um, something like that. I think it's pushed the whole world, young, medium-aged, and older, into more of a technology space. Yeah, we don't have we don't have a choice anymore. Um, yeah. So switching gears a little bit, I know we've got uh, just a few minutes left, but uh, I'm curious to know, uh, you've been a uh, a big supporter of the uh, of our Future Leaders program now for several years and uh, had a bunch of people uh, at the company go through the program and uh, I'm just I'm curious to know what's your what why do you see professional development as so important for Amero? I mean not every company does that, I'll be honest. We just have it there are certain companies in the uh, within our membership that see that as a big priority and are always, you know, wanting to get people either in our future leaders program or another similar program. But you, you're one of them, so I'm curious to know what's your your take on professional development. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, um, I I think you know both personally and as a as a company, we're just you know big supporters in continuous development. And so it's a simple philosophy that you know number one, we want to have people that want to want to do more and get better and strive and invest in their career. And if we have individuals like that, then we want to partner with them uh, and help invest in their careers. So, um, you know, we select our people very carefully. And again, um, somebody that is shown and proven a propensity to, again, invest in themselves. And that can be through online courses, through just trying different jobs at work, through going back to college, um etc and so yeah we're we we love uh certainly the california mba's future leader program um for that we've got a numerous individuals in our company going back and taking their mbas or finishing college and we will partner in pain for those uh where it's the right person that uh, certainly is going to deliver value for the company but in particular the future leaders program i just love the fact that they get to uh, meet other people. So part of this and, and, and part of the benefit, and I've been fortunate, as you mentioned at the opening, to be, be asked to join the California uh, MBA. And I get a lot out of that. I've met a lot of very cool people. Uh, I've learned more about the industry from very smart people that have done different things or, uh, or, or done longer than me or, or different perspectives. And that's one of the benefits I see for our people. So again, back to the, the social aspect of it, the more you know, if you're smart enough and you also have work ethic, generally the better you're gonna be at your job. And so that's just kind of at our core philosophy. Right, yeah, when I completely agree that, especially the uh, the cross-pollination aspect, that's one thing that with our program that you know we certainly strive to do is to you know make sure that we get people out of there out of their silos if they're a compliance person or a, you know at their secondary desk and we want to make sure they meet other people and see how the business works in other aspects um so that that's great i'm, I'm you know it, it's good to hear yeah, I, that have the same philosophy i get great feedback from everyone who's gone through it um you know we kind of cap it at a certain number or i'd have uh, half of the attendees would be from Merrill, so we don't really want to do that but for those uh other companies out there and members of the california mba or even if you're non-members, there's also a way you can become a member and get to be part of this. But uh, I think it's a great opportunity to develop your young uh, up-and-coming uh, leaders. And again, if you don't invest in them, you're probably not going to get a lot out of it and or they might look to go somewhere else where people will invest in them. And that's kind of also part of our philosophy. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it works great as a, as a retention tool. 
Um, so uh, final question here, I'll, I'll put this one, you know, as much on a tee as I can possibly do for you as a member uh, <laughs> of the MBA board and the California MBA board. Um, obviously right now with everything that's going on, you know, it couldn't be more clear how important advocacy is for the industry. So, you know, if you were speaking to a, uh, a you know, a colleague in the industry who maybe doesn't see the value in, in advocacy or hasn't gotten involved before, you know, what's your, what's your elevator pitch to them on why advocacy is so important? All right. Well, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, I love I love talking to um, non-members um, about this. And again, I think most of our clients and the people I know across the industry, um, it's just they hadn't really thought about it. Um, because when they think about it and sit back, it just makes a ton of sense. Number one, um, how important it is right now, uh, like never before, the California MBA and the National MBA and all of the other MBAs across uh, across our great country are working uh, extremely long hours, pushing extremely hard to fight not not to push for the bills that we need to preserve our industry. And as important, and I always add this part, as much to also be aware of uh, unintended and adverse impacts from other bills and and bills for those that. They're extremely complicated. And so your membership money, your attendance at conferences, your sponsorship, uh, sponsorship of events, all of those help to support the MBA and provide funding for us to engage top-notch, well-respected, well-regarded advocates that work on our behalf for the California MBA members. Um, and unfortunately or fortunately, uh, for all the non-members. And that's really the bottom line that if you are a non-member today you have basically outsourced that cost to the membership and that's the part when i do finally get a chance to talk to people individually and they realize that it's not a massive amount of money that most people just want to do their part and they just haven't thought about it so if you're not a member and you're watching this i encourage you to look into it to call dustin call susan uh, get on the website, call me, and we can walk you through how easy it is and relatively inexpensive it is to basically help this industry, not only for today, but for the tomorrows and the future future leaders we talked about, uh, and, and make sure we have a healthy and uh, an inviting industry, because it's been a pretty cool one for all of us, and we need to invest in it, much like earlier with the future leaders. We need to invest in our industry if we want it to be here down the road. Awesome. Well, hey, John, appreciate your time. I know you're busy, so I'll let you get back to work. Uh, I appreciate uh, you giving us your thoughts today. And uh, for everyone else, we'll be uh, here next week with a, a, a brand new bonus episode of Connect. So uh, we'll see you then.